In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of all ages, Amen. So I don't really follow pop culture and what's kind of gone viral and what hasn't, but thankfully um, I'm surrounded by so many other people who are current, who are able to kind of keep me current. So I don't know if you've heard about this, uh, this ad that Gillette came out with. Um, you know, Gillette, the razor company, their, their uh, kind of their slogan is the Gillette, the best a man can get. Um, and um, it really got me thinking, it really got me thinking, are we actually being the best that we can be? Am I operating from a place of best? And uh, just, just to get us all on the same page, um, we can start off with, um, we can just start off with, uh, with that clip. Um, we'll just watch this, this clip. This is the ad that I'm referencing. Is this the best a man can get? Is it? We can't hide here. This thing going on far too long. We can't laugh it off. What I actually think she's trying to say. Making the same old excuses. But something finally changed. And the underlying message here is that if we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, we ought to expect the same result. Now, this can be a very good thing if you've identified a good result. And a few moons ago, we did a series on rituals, morning rituals and evening rituals, and how to plan and prepare for the perfect day and to set oneself up for success. And it could be understood that way. It could also be understood that if there's something in your life that you don't like, if there's something in your life that you want to do away with, if there's something in your life that you're fed up of, but you keep doing the same thing, like I'm sorry to break it to you, but you probably should expect the same result. And even the saints and even Jesus had Customs and if you know I had a clip here, but enough video clips for now of Homer Simpson going dope and he does the, 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 the Dumbest things over and over again And he does the same things from one episode to another and and, and his response to it is always dope 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 
Dope. So you can look it up. You know, the, 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 the best dopes of the last 20 years of Homer Simpson. Really funny, really funny YouTube clip, right? But if we look at Jesus, it even says when he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He had a custom. He had a way of doing things. If we look at St. Paul, same thing, as was his custom. Paul went to the synagogue on the three Sabbath days and so on, right? And this isn't a talk telling you to come to church on Sundays because if it is, I'd be talking to the wrong people. You're the ones who are here right this is a this is this is a whole series asking the question what culture do you operate from what culture do you operate from so if you look at if you look at your the outside you know whatever kind of like morphological features uh, you know you have your skin color your you know your height your weight and all of these things might speak to an ethnic heritage they may speak to cultures of origin or a heritage that you bring with you but the question is is that is that the culture that i operate from probably not in this multicultural smorgasbord we have here of toronto and north america you probably operate from your own culture and now we live in a very much a you do you and i'll do me kind of culture where no one is really gonna kind of fault you for doing what you want to do so long as you don't you know irritate too many other people which is kind of something you know, maybe, you know, a topic unto itself. But the point is this, is that we actually live in a really special particular time where each of us can craft our own culture to operate from. We can craft our own way of life. We can craft our own way of being and way of doing. But the question is, what are the key elements? Like if you, if, if you could only have four or five foundational pillar stones of your operating culture, of how you do you, of how you do life, of how you do work, of how you do family, of how, if you're married, you do marriage, of how you do raising children, of how you do whatever it is that you do. Some the things that transcend context, the things that are not just at work, not just on my hockey team, not just, but the things that are above and beyond that. What would you keep and what would you throw away? What elements of your operating culture are indispensable, are non-negotiable? If we remove these, you wouldn't be you anymore. I mean, this is really a question of how you want to do life. Some of us have a lot of life or we think we have a lot of life ahead of us. Some of us feel like we have less and less. If you have a lot of life ahead of you, this question is so critical because you still have the majority of your life ahead of you. What are you going to do? Not what are you going to do with it, but how are you going to do it? If you don't have that much life left ahead of you and you think most of it is in the past, what you have left is so precious. How are you going to do it? What are you going to prioritize? Not activities, dispositions, values, principles. What do you build your life 
on? What premises? I had a very interesting conversation with uh, Shadi after liturgy the other day this week. And he brought up a really good point. He brought up a really, really critical point. Does your purpose inform what your identity is? Or does your identity dictate your purpose? Okay, let me like, you know, let me like apply it, right? You know, you don't really know what to do with life. You've sent out CVs to a zillion different places. You know, you're not getting any answers. You're not getting into any interviews. Finally, you get an interview at this one job. You know what I mean? And they, and they, and they, they hire you on, you know, for a uh, um, um, social media marketing role for some soap product that they, that they manufacture, right? And so you're, you're now the social media person for this particular brand of soap. You know, so when somebody asks you, what do you do? You say, I'm in marketing. When somebody asks you, what do you do? You say, I'm in soap. You know, somebody asks you what you do, you say, I'm pretty clean. I do soap. I don't know what you're going to say, right? But your identity is now dictated by the job, the job you wanted, the job you chose, the job that kind of, let's be honest, chose you. Is that your identity or is it the other way around? I am who I am, and because of who I am, I do what I do. My purpose is dictated by who I am. But see, none of us feel comfortable, if we have any ounce of humility in us, to actually say, I am who I am, and that's why I do what I do. Because none of us can say, I am who I am. When Moses was standing on the mountain and he tells him, go to Egypt, tell Pharaoh, let my people go and all this. And, 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 and Mo, Mo, Moses doesn't know what to say and he, he doesn't know how to deal with this. This is like a massive assignment. And he tells God, he tells him, he tells him, okay, 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 okay. When they ask me, who sent you on this mission? What, are you gonna, what am I going to say? What's your name? That I should tell them your name. And God tells him, I am who I am. See, God is the only one who is existent in and of himself. We all exist because of him. You know, there's that famous question, philosophical question, you know, if God created the world, who created God? It's a fallacy, the question, right? Because whether you believe in God or a big bang or whatever it is that you believe in, Everybody essentially comes to a place where they believe in a first cause. Something started it all. Something, someone, somehow started it all. It all started somehow. Something started the start. But the thing that started the start was there before the start is the only thing that is existent in and of itself. And so... The only way that my identity can actually dictate my purpose is if I know where I came from. The chair doesn't know that it's a chair and is made for people to sit on unless it is informed by the person who made it. So it's only in relationship to a creator or a first cause or some where, where, I've come, where I've come from, that I can know who I am and that I can make who I am dictate what my purpose is.
And so this isn't going to be the, the subject of one specific um, session of this series, but it's going to pervade all of the series is what has God made you to be? How has he made you? And there are some features of how God has made every single person in this room, myself included, that transcend your occupation, your job, your gender, your sexual orientation, your socioeconomic class, your transcends all of that. And those are the kinds of things we're going to talk about. Because these are the things that will modulate who I am because, who I was, because of who I was made to be. Let's start from the beginning. Let's just put first things first, like the famous words of Stephen Covey. He was Mormon, but that's besides the point, right? Talked a lot about life organization stuff. Let's just put first things first. What would be most important? What would be critical? What would be the foundation stone of your values, of your principles, of what would be, if, 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 if all of your other values and principles were stripped away for whatever reason, what would you hold on to for dear life? If you completely lost sense of your identity, what would you hold on to? My, uh, my dad would always tell me to be mindful of what we pass on to others, kind of like a hot potato. He'd tell me in the office, he, he worked in the corporate world for 40 years, he told me, or 35 years, he told me that, he would tell me that in the office, there's like positive thing comments and negative comments that are being said all the time. But it's funny, if you trace a negative comment, you can usually trace it back several people, about six or seven people. Somebody said something mean to one person, that person goes and says exactly the same thing to another, to another, to another, to another. And the positive things, you can only trace them back one or two people right? And why is that? And he was saying, you know what it is? It's because the positive things, we're comfortable with those. So you tell me, hey, Father John, I really like what you've done with your beard, right? Or that's not something that you could say to everybody in the office. Let's expect something else, right? Father John, you look great today, right? And I might say it to somebody else because of how good it made me feel, but I'm comfortable. I can hold on to that, you know? I can just sit and relish in, in, in being a good looking guy, you know, and I can just enjoy, I can just enjoy that, right? But, you know, but um, like, uh, you, you know, uh, you know, why isn't this report in on time? You know, why this or why that, right? Then, then you just take that because I, I don't want to hang on to that. So I take that and I go dump it on the next person. And then the next person goes and just dumps it on the next person. And you end up having this cycle of, of negativity, you know, just going from one person to the next until one person decides, you know what? I'm not going to pass this hot potato on. I'm just going to find somewhere else to dump it. And I'm not going to talk about that, but I'm just talking about this idea that we, we really need to be mindful of what it is that we pass along to other people. And not everything that appears good is good. And, you know, and having young daughters who watch a lot of Disney movies, right, and Sleeping Beauty, like the, the witch gives this beautiful, tasty-looking apple. Snow White. Oh, Snow White. Sorry, Snow White, right? You know, apple to... Um, to Snow White, right? And she tells her, take a bite, take a bite. And she takes a bite and she falls asleep and so on until, you know, the P Prince Charming comes. And not everything that looks good that I could pass on to others is good. But there is one thing which is good. 
there's one thing which has actually been termed the greatest thing in the world by a fellow named Henry Drummond, um, wrote a book called The Greatest Thing in the World. And the greatest thing in the world is love. And you're not going to find too many people who are going to argue with you about that. You're not going to find too many people of different, of different ethnicities, different religions, different whatever, who are going to argue about that with you. I'll tell you from, from a Christian perspective why love is the greatest, but that might be, you know, you might have your own reason why love is the best, but honestly, love transcends all. If, if all else was stripped away from me, I would want one thing to be constant, and that would be, that would be love, to be loving. You see, um, uh, in Scripture it says, Now, at the end of all things, abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Why is the greatest love? Because these three things, faith and hope and love, all exist in this world. But you can only hope and you can only believe in things you haven't seen. So if and when we get to heaven and our eyes are opened and we see all of the glory of God and we understand all the reasons of why he's done the things he's done and we're satisfied to our heart's content, what will there be left to hope for? You can't hope for something that you have already seen or already received. You can't believe in something that you already have proof or evidence of, but you can love. So love is something that we enjoy here and that we get to carry on with us all through, even to the end of eternity. Now, I have a bit of a beef with love, okay? I have a bit of a beef with love. There's something that I re really kind of irks me when we talk about love, right? Um, and, and I'm sorry, I'm just gonna have to share this with you. When we think of love, we think of like all oh, this warm, fuzzy feeling. I kind of see myself like kind of like, like huddled into like my, my lazy boy recliner with a warm throw, maybe a hot of cup, cup of hot tea. And I'm just thinking of you and I'm having all these warm, fuzzy thoughts about you. And I'm just, I'm just loving you endlessly in my little recliner you know and i'm just having i'm having such a great afternoon loving you in my little recliner right now i want to ask you a question who benefits from that love me right i'm comfortable i'm in my recliner i'm warm i'm cozy i have a cup of tea you could be freezing like the reality could be you could be freezing to death on the street and waiting for somebody to invite you in, but I'm just relishing in the thought of you, you know, I don't have time to pick up, the, I don't want to ruin this moment, you know, uh, right? And you're freezing to death, you know, but I'm just, I'm just so in love with you, right? And I'm doing nothing. The word love, which is used in this verse is, is the Greek word agape, and I'm not going to get into a word study of things, but if you translate that word to English, it translates as love, it translates as charity, and it translates as feast of charity. Like when you, when you throw a big feast and invite all kinds of people to come and eat with you and expect nothing in return. That's what it translates as. Basically, it translates as doing. Doing doing something, 
put, bring, putting your hand out to help somebody. It's great to have the warm, fuzzy feeling, but you know what? If you don't have the warm, fuzzy feeling at all, if you're actually pretty irritated with the person that you're reaching out to, but you're doing it with as much love as you know how, but there's a little bit of you that would really rather just rip their head off, but you're not going to do that because you've committed to just to loving this person, to helping them, to meeting them where they're, where they're at, and to being to them everything that they need because they're worth it. Because you've decided, you've estimated the worth and just said they're worth it. And you do that, that is love. Whether you have the warm, fuzzy feelings or you don't, it's still love. But the warm, fuzzy feelings don't feed hungry mouths. The warm, fuzzy feelings don't do anything. In fact, they kind of anesthetize me from doing something. My spiritual father actually, a, a little note about spiritual life, would warn me about feeling too much while I'm reading scripture. He'd tell, he'd, he'd tell me, I, I know exactly what happens, John. I know exactly what happens to you. You open scripture and you start reading and you read something and you say, mm-mm, that's good. And you say, I'm just close my eyes and I'm just going to relish in this moment for a minute. And you start thinking about it and you start enjoying it and you might fall asleep for a bit or you might not. And then when you open your eyes and you look and, oh my God, half an hour has gone by. I don't got time for this. Close up your Bible and go. So in the end, you didn't read nothing. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't eat. You didn't, you tasted, you had a taste. And then you went off on La La Land in your imaginary world and disconnected from the real world. That's, that's what we're all at risk of doing when we relish in these warm, fuzzy feelings. I'm not against warm, fuzzy feelings. I love warm, fuzzy feelings as much as the next guy. Just make sure that they don't compromise the doing. There's got to be some thing, some doing that comes out of it. Don't just sit there in your recliner. Gave you this great image, hopefully it'll stick with you, of me sitting in my warm, fuzzy recliner doing nothing. And hopefully that won't be you. Jesus says, by this you will know that you, the, you are my disciples. By this you will know. You know what that is? That's a hallmark. I, I went Google imaging like hallmark and all I found was like hallmark cards, right? And I'm like, wait a minute, what does the word hallmark actually mean? Like I actually didn't know until this talk and I was researching for this talk. The word hallmark is the... Um, the markings that jewelers would make on gold, silver, and other precious metals to describe how precious they are. So the first one is like the, like the, the Bureau of Standards, blah, 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 logo. The second one is how many thousandths of gold is in this gold ring. So this is 916 thousandths. So this gold ring is 91.6% pure gold. Nothing is 100% pure gold, right? And then the next one, the assay center, and so on and so on, right? It's the markings that prove or the markings that indicate the authenticity of this precious metal. That's what a hallmark is in the jewelry world. Jesus says, 
Jesus says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another, that's the hallmark. It's not if you come to church early or late, if you're involved, if you're not involved, if you have all the keys to the place or you don't, you know, you, you know, you know a thousand pieces of scripture or you don't. That's not, that's not, the, uh, that's not the hallmark, the proof of the authenticity of being a disciple of Jesus. The proof of, being authentic, of the authenticity of being a disciple for Jesus is if you love one another. And similar to the Hallmark thing, you know, the, the um, similar to the, you know, it's like what percent, right? What number is stamped on me? I'm willing to love you this far. Or will I go this far? Or will I go that far? How far will I go? How far will you go? How far will you go? That's, that's what, that's the mark, the true mark of a Christian. Not wearing a cross around your neck or having a bumper sticker on the back of your car, right? And if we love him, it's because he first loved us. You know, the, the cross, the cross was actually like a symbol of shame before Christ. And after Christ, it became the symbol of Christianity. Well, but Father John, didn't you just say that the symbol of Christianity is actually love that we offer one to another? Yes. This is love offered from one to another. Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, than to give one's life for his friends. Jesus's, Jesus's hallmark number there is like, blows your mind, right? Is infinity and unto the ages, how much he loves, how much he loves me. But, but let's get practical. What does this really, really look like? For this is the love of God. St. John wants to make it super, super simple for us. Like he, he doesn't want to preach to us. He just wants to just, just make it so easily attainable to us. Okay, just give me a metric. Just give me, just give me, give me an assay. Give me a way to measure to know. Like, am I loving or am I just fooling myself that we keep his commandments? Simple as that. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. All my life growing up, I'd go to my spiritual father and I'd tell him, I want to love God more. He'd tell me, keep his commandments. Tell him, what does that mean? He'd tell me, pick one commandment each day. Pick one commandment. It doesn't have to be the same as the one that from the day before. And tell yourself, I'm going to do this if it kills me. I'm going to do this if it kills me. Jesus said, I'm going to save John if it kills me. And it did. You can look back at him and say, Lord, I'm going to do what you ask, even if it kills me. Now, the real kicker is that in doing this, it's not burdensome. In doing this, it's not burdensome. Obligation is burdensome. Grace is not. 
If I feel loved, if I have received, the easiest thing for me is to do something in return. A little, little, something a little personal here. Um, my uh, sock and underwear drawer was getting really thin, okay? We were down to like, you know, single digits. We were down to like less than five single digits, right? You know what I mean? And uh, so, uh, so I took the laundry downstairs and I put it in the, in the washing machine, right? And I told Mary, by the way, I put the laundry in the washing machine. I'm guessing there's one chore neither of us really likes to do and it's folding laundry and putting it away, right? There's other things that we're both okay with. I like to cook, Mary likes to do all, Mary does everything else whether she likes it or not, she's so awesome, right? But, so, that, so, so I leave in the morning, you know, and I know I'm down to like, I'm like now I'm counting them, right? Like I'm down to three, you know? I'm down to two, I, I, know, I know I'm folding laundry, on, you know, on, 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 on Friday or otherwise I'm gonna have to start turning them inside out, just kidding, right? Um, and so, uh, <laughs> so, lost my train of thought there for a second, right? And so here we are, here, here we are, right? And I come home late at night. Huh? Boys will be boys, eh? Boys will be boys, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? And so uh, I come home late at night, you know, and get my stuff ready for the next day. I like to get my stuff ready for the next day, the night before. It's this little thing I do, right? So I'm doing, it's part of my evening, it's part of my going to bed thing is figuring out what I'm doing tomorrow, right? And I open my sock and underwear drawer and it's full. It's like full to the brim, you know? Like full to overflowing, right? Because most of the time when I get down to like, you know, nothing, I don't just do the laundry, like I don't just suck it up and do it, I go to Walmart, right? <laughs> get some more, right? You don't know how grateful I felt. I was like, I felt like, I felt like I was drowning in the sea of lack of underwear. And, and I got rescued, you know? Well, you, you have no idea what happened for the next four or five days. I cooked, I did dishes, I emptied the dishwasher. I was just, I was just chorezilla, you know? I was just chorezilla, you know? Just doing anything I can do, because I felt like, and Mary keeps saying, thank you so much, and when did you find time to cook this, and when did you find time to do that? And I was just, I was just, I just, I just, I was just paying it back. I was just paying it back. I wasn't paying it forward. I was paying it back. The commandments of Christ are not burdensome if somebody's filled your sock and underwear drawer without you knowing. If someone has come and given you not what you deserve, more than what you deserve. Not because it's their job, not because they have to, just because they decided that you're worth it. They looked at you, they summed you up, and they said, you're worth it. And they went over and above. You do anything for them. You do anything for them. And it won't be burdensome. What has God done for you? If you're having difficulty answering this question, I don't blame you. Hey, this is like a safe space, no judgment. But I'm also just going to warn you that you might find his commandments a bit burdensome. 
the martyrs who were tortured and had their fingernails ripped out and their tongues cut off and all kinds of other horrific things done to them didn't find it burdensome because they felt like they were just they were just offering back just a just a speck just a drop of what had been offered for them during the liturgy we pray and we say during right before the gospel is read we say blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear and the priest stands there during the gospel waving the censer and incense is rising up in front of in front of the reader so the reader should be standing in like a cloud of incense with two candles beside him and this cloud of incense like the voice that's coming the sound which is coming is coming out of this cloud of incense right and the priest is praying this prayer silently. He said it audibly. He said it out loud. And now he's saying it silently. Blessed are your eyes for they see. Blessed are your ears for they hear. May you be, we be worthy to hear and to act according to your holy gospels. But those eyes that can see and those ears that can hear are not only in church. They're on the street. When humanity is crying out, they're in your home and my home. When your father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children are crying out, love me, love me. You know, one of our daughters has started doing this thing where she'll say something. And then she'll say it louder and she'll say it louder and she'll say it louder and she'll say it louder until until you pay attention. Like even if you tell her, okay, you know, so and so, da da da, she'll just keep saying it louder and louder until you do what she wants you to do. It's a, it, it shouldn't, the other day she, when she was doing that, I, I started to get a little annoyed and then I thought to myself, hold on a second. She shouldn't need to cry out to me four or five times to get my attention. What's more important, what I'm cooking or what I'm writing or what I'm doing or this person, this, this human, let alone the blood relation, this person, what's their value? Lord, may you give us eyes to see and ears to hear the cry, the cry of humanity. Mother Teresa says, when Christ said I was hungry and you fed me, he didn't only mean a hunger for bread or for food, he also meant the hunger to be loved. Jesus himself experienced this loneliness. You know what loneliness is? It's a lack of acknowledgement. So many people on the street have thanked me so much more for stopping and smiling than for what I've handed them. Acknowledgement. Existence. You exist. You're, you are relevant. You are important in my world. You belong in my world. But this isn't just something that pertains to the homeless or to the poor. Or to the, this is something which pertains to every single one of us. I have a friend who used to call me every day. He used to call me every day to ask me how I'm doing. 
So some days, this is long before priesthood. So some days I had the time to answer and some days I didn't. He never expected me to ask him in return how he was doing. He wasn't like awkward or anything. If I asked him, so, you know, Neder, how are you doing? He would tell me, like he would talk, he would share. Um, but if I didn't ask, he wouldn't say anything. Like he'd say, okay, that's great. If I said, okay, I got to go. He said, yeah, okay, great. And he'd call me the next day. He called me every single day. Well, I'd answer sometimes, I wouldn't answer sometimes. And then for like a week, I didn't answer. He still called me. And then a little bit later, another week, I didn't answer. He still called me every day. Then after a while, he just stopped kind of calling me. I thought nothing of it. I said, I don't know, maybe he got busy. Maybe this, maybe that. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know what, uh, what's going on in his life and so on and this and that. One day I bumped into him. I hadn't seen him for a few months. I bumped into him and we got talking and this and that. And I asked him, you know, Netter, I kind of miss your phone calls. Kind of, he smiled, but kind of a half smile. He said, if you miss them, why didn't you ever call? It doesn't have to be a homeless person on the street. It can be someone who is in the same life stage, same whatever as you, right? Who's just looking to be acknowledged. Compassion in action is just what Jesus says. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I had a need and you reached out with love in a relevant way and helped me to deal with my need. This is a founding, a founding principle of our character. This is a founding value. This is, this is a central piece of not what it means to be Christian, not what it means to be a member of this church, what it means to be human, to be human, to be able to recognize humanity in other people and not to think I'm Mother Teresa for it, to realize that, that this is just normal. It's normal when people talk to you that you answer them. It's normal that you give them your attention, at least briefly. That's, that's normal. Why? Because they're human because they have inherent value because of their humanity. This is what we're called to do. If you stripped away all of my principles and all my values, if you stripped away my religion, my rites, my rituals, my incense and books and candles, and if you stripped it all away and you only let me keep one thing, I would choose this, compassion and action. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, we're so grateful to you that you've, that you've made it easy for us in a certain respect. You've made it easy for us to live this compassion in action because you yourself came and had compassion with us. You came, Lord, and shared in co-suffering love with us. You didn't write us a prescription from heaven, Lord. You came and you came to be with us and to take on all of our brokenness and all of our sin and all of our sadness and most of all, Lord, our death 
and make it resurrection. All glory and honor and praise be to you, Lord. God, thank you for who you are and for what you've done, for what you continue to do in the lives of all of the wonderful people who are here, an inspiration to me and to many others. Please, Lord, bless them. Lord, a special request for me to you. Put your hand, your nail-pierced hand, Lord, full of love around their lives. Open our eyes, Lord, to see how much you have loved us and to give us the opportunity to show us the opportunities that already exist in our lives to do the same. In your mighty name we pray, through the intercessions, prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray to you in the way you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And in Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Now the love of God the Father, the grace of his only begotten Son, the gift and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace and may the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.